Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Hey, podcast listeners. Many times you've heard me say life is about events supported by dollar and cents. Well, today's guests, Brian and Natalie Hanks, are all about life events. I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast in the sense that it's the first couples podcast I have ever done. I know you've been wanting Brett and I to do it. I've heard your calls. We just need to convince Brent that that's a topic he can encounter. So just wanted to um, take a moment to, to remind all of you that are interested in the Seneca Lake Wine Trail. They have this um, passport, this weekly passport going on right now, and you should hop on over to their website to look at that. They also have um, an event coming up that's called the Savory World of Seneca. Um, really neat event that they have every year. Something that, again, if you're into the journey, um, it's really cool what they're doing. And in addition to that, they have the February pairing, uh, preferred pairing program. I love the Seneca Lake Wine Trail. I love the Finger Lakes region for wine. So I know you're probably tired of hearing about it, but I just really enjoy it. And I'm so honored that they continue to ask me to be an ambassador for the wine trail. So if you are all about events and you really want to explore, uh, take a look at the website, uh, see if there's some things that you might be interested in. We're heading into planning for some spring events. Yes the S word in a good way and um, hopefully you are interested in exploring the area as well please feel free to give me any suggestions that you'd like to hear about on this podcast sit back sip and enjoy your favorite wine as you listen to Natalie and Brian Hanks you are listening to wine and dime the podcast that combines two passions, wine and personal finance. Hosted by Amy Irvine, certified financial planner and owner of Irvine Wealth Planning Strategies, located in Corning, New York. And now here's your host, Amy Irvine. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. I am so excited to have Brian Hanks back on the show. Brian was one of the very first people that I had the pleasure of having as a guest. And this time, he's got his significant other, his lovely wife, Natalie, who is also the editor of my book, Uncork Your Finances. And I just can't wait to dive. I have so many questions for them. Hopefully, I don't go on and on. But I can't wait to dive in. And I just want to say thanks so much for joining me today. Our pleasure. I'm so glad that the first round wasn't... um a disqualifying event for me. So thank you. <laughs> well, Brian, you were actually my inspiration for writing Uncork Your Finances. I don't know if you knew that or not, but somebody who has um, so much going on in his own life, not only wrote one book, but then followed it up with part two. Um, I thought, man, if he can do it, and it's something that I've truly always wanted to do, but if he can do it, then gosh darn it, I can do it. <laughs> so. It's funny because that's the exact same logic that I used to write my book. I looked around and I thought, and, and you're more kind. I was a little less charitable and thought, what? She or he, and he can write a book? Well, <laughs> I can't do <sue> this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just look at how busy your life is. And I think if he can squeeze the time in to write, then I should be able to squeeze the time in to write. So um, I've mentioned uh, a couple of times already that 
um, you guys have a very busy life. So Brian, you actually launched, uh, officially launched your business last year, right? Yep. Just over 12 months ago. So it's been going well and it, you've got the timing exactly right. And just so folks um, remember, Brian actually works with dentists and specifically with dentists that are trying to buy practices, not necessarily, although there is some consulting on the selling side, but it's really more about the buying side, correct? That's right. Yeah, they tend to be younger. Uh, they tend to have mountains of student loans, uh, but they're anxious to lay down some roots and to own a business. And so it's a lot of fun. I love it. Yeah. And the entrepreneurial spirit that goes along with that, you can really relate to. Absolutely. <laughs> and Natalie, you, as I mentioned, are an editor by trade and a fabulous one to boot. Not only did you edit my book, but you've also edited Brian's second and maybe went back and edited the first as well. I do still have to go back and edit. So don't read it and look at all the errors and think <laughs> that I didn't do a good job. <laughs> But yes, I enjoy editing. It's fun. And I kind of fell into it a little bit as a profession, I guess, but I really enjoy it. So it's been great. Well, so you guys have, and I, I'm going to chuckle when I say that, you guys have a couple of kids. <laughs> <laughs> They're beautiful children. I've had the pleasure of seeing them in some of the events that you um, participate in through Facebook and that sort of thing. Um, I just, I want to hear your collective, Brian, we, we heard your journey into financial planning and the lessons that your dad taught you um, when you were pretty young before you went off to do some mission work, right? right? But I've never actually heard the story of the two of you, how you met, how you've um, come to mesh, um, you know, both of you being an entrepreneur um, in your own spirits. Selling your house, moving, starting a business, <laughs> raising children. I just have so many questions in that. So I guess we need to start at the beginning and say, lay down those roots and, and tell us a little bit about your collective journey. Okay, well, I can start and Brian can add as needed. Um, we met in 2005. And so that's 13 years. We'll be 14 this year that we've been married and we have four children. And um, from the outset, we knew Brian would be an entrepreneur. Um, we met right when both he and I were finishing our undergrads. And then right, right six months after we got married, we moved. So, and we moved and moved for work and Brian going back to school to get his MBA. And always in the back of our mind, knowing that eventually Brian would be out on his own. We didn't really know what that would look like exactly. But we knew it was there and um, kind of the end goal, I guess. And so mm -hmm. that is not something a lot of people always ask me as the wife, is that really scary for you that he went out on his own? And I say, no, not at all. One, I trust my husband. <laughs> Two, he's really good at what he does. And so I have 100% faith in what he's doing in the business he's chosen to do. And, mm -hmm. um, Three, it's just kind of been what we've expected. You know, we planned for it. And then um, as far as my specific journey, I think my... I, I do have the entrepreneurial spirit as far as... I'm super impressed by anyone who goes out on their own and creates a business or creates a product. It's always been really fascinating to me. I'm not as great at running my own business as I am at helping other people run theirs. But um, I just love seeing that happen. And like I said, the editing for me kind of just kind of happened. And I really enjoy it and enjoy being able to kind of do my own thing. And I think part of the reason I can is because Brian is an entrepreneur. If he didn't work for himself and had a nine to five job, he wouldn't have the flexibility that he does because he works for himself. So if I need to go somewhere or meet somebody, he has the flexibility to make that happen for me. So it's really been super mutually beneficial for us to both kind of do our own thing a little bit. Yeah. And it also allows you the flexibility to do things with your kids. Um, you guys mm -hmm. homeschool, correct? We don't this year. I homeschooled them last year. And then this year I found a really awesome charter school that just opened this fall and 
it was basically exactly what I wanted to accomplish with homeschooling, but in a school setting. So this year they are back in school. Okay. So that gives you a little more time to um, not have to develop curriculum, but to explore other other ideas together as a, as a mm-hmm. couple. Um, so uh, one of the things that um, I think is amazing to me, so I want to go back on the fact that you have these you mentioned the comment that you planned for it. Go figure. <laughs> um, tell us a little. I know the story when um, Brian and I first met. Do you realize, Brian, it's been almost three years? I know. Isn't that crazy? I was thinking yeah. about that, but yeah. three years, right? Yeah. Um, when we first met, I think it was maybe six months after that, give or take a little bit, you know, you were on the call, um, we were sharing sort of some challenges and you said, Oh, well, we're selling our house and <laughs> moving. Yep. We're like, and how are you starting a business? And, <laughs> and that was one of the reasons why you were selling the house and moving was so that it would give you, you wouldn't be tied down to that. And I, I would love to talk about w- when people think about their homes and the emotion attached to their home, I'd love to hear both sides of your thought process when you made that decision. So I'll start here. The thought process was combination of finances and emotion. Um, the, the financial piece was we were actually in a pretty reasonable housing situation. We were living in Boise, Idaho, a very, very reasonable cost of living. Um, we weren't in too much of a home for our financial situation. We weren't stretched beyond what we, you know, what ratios and things would tell you. Um, and at the same time, we felt like there was a little bit less flexibility than we wanted. Um, very specifically, if I was going to start a business, um, and let's just say it failed, Amy. I mean, no one when I start a business knows for sure that it's going to succeed. How much mm-hmm. more difficult it would have been to have that mortgage payment, the property tax payment, the insurance, all of the, you know, if the heater breaks, you know, you can't just not have a heater in the winter in Idaho. I wanted that flexibility to move money if we needed to, or, or, you know, gosh, heaven forbid with four kids, can you imagine like living with our parents or something like that? But <laughs> I guess it, it could have been an option. Right. And, um, the emotional piece came from us. Uh, we built a home with my brother-in-law. It was a great home. we loved it. We got to pick a lot of the things. We also, as we lived there a little while thought, gosh, we would have changed this and we wouldn't have done that. And wouldn't it be nice if the yard looked like this instead of that? And so we had a few little wish list things that came. We were thinking about as her dad retired and moved to Utah, and my parents were in Utah, and we had some siblings in Utah, and just kind of the timing all came together to say, "All right, the finances are nudging us in one direction, uh, family and emotions, and some of the qualitative factors are nudging us in another direction. Let's take the plunge." Anything you'd add to that? Um, I'd say the only thing I'd add is just. You can't underestimate that gut level feeling, and that's really what it came down to. And it, and every move we've made, which we've made, a, we've made a bunch. Um, it really came down to that because we had the option; we could live anywhere. Since Brian works from home, you know, we could live anywhere we wanted, and it had to feel right to make that move. Mm-hmm. In our gut. Mm-hmm. And so, and it did. And so, that's part of the reason we made the choice. That's, I, to me, that's a scary thing. And I think to a lot of other people, it would be a very scary thing, you know, leaving, um, leaving what you're familiar with and not that you're unfamiliar with the area that you ended up moving into, but just all of those things going on at the same time, it would create a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. Um, and, and it, yeah. yep. how, how did you, I mean, what were the, what were some of the pillow talk conversations that you guys had about that? You look so beautiful. I'm so lucky to be married. <laughs> uh, different pillow talk. Um, <laughs> it, it was scary. Honestly, it was one of the harder things that I've had to do. And one of the scarier things, my, you know, we don't need to go back into the details, but my dad worked for somebody. My mom's family were all kind of military and had jobs and to go mm. off on your own is, absolutely one of the scariest things that I've ever had to do. And I'm, I would imagine for a lot of people feel the same. There was a little bit of 
relief mm-hmm. too and starting over and oh great we can mm. we can rent for a year and pick anywhere to live and if it doesn't work we can keep renting and so just not having I've seen some numbers, Wall Street Journal, other places that talk about rental numbers going up and they bemoan it as kind of a Mm -hmm. sad state of look at these millennials, they can't get their act together. Uh, There may be some of that. I wonder though, Amy, if it's partially just people Mm -hmm. wanting a little more flexibility in their lives. They're not going to be in the same city for four years and maybe they want to travel the world or just live other places. And uh, for us, there was a little bit of freedom with it too. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because a, a Probably about three or four months ago, I was interviewed um, about that particular topic, um, whether or not the dream of homeownership had died. And I said, you know, think about, because it was specifically around that millennial generation, but also more and more of the X generation are kind of moving in that direction. Because when you think, so many people have this false sense of if you're renting, you're, you're giving away equity. Right. And in that interview, I said, you know, do you do you gain equity by paying taxes? Yeah. Do you gain equity by um, paying for, you know, insurance? Do you gain equity when you have to do repair minor repairs, not big ones? You know, are you gaining equity? And if that if those figures, if your rent is equivalent to those figures, then you're really not giving up equity. Because if your mortgage payment is, you know, a thousand dollars and you have to pay another thousand dollars in taxes and you can rent for a thousand dollars, you're actually able to take that extra thousand dollars and, you know, invest it or save for something or just not strap yourself so much and live. And one of my new slogans that we've been saying so far this year is life is about events Mm -hmm. supported by dollars and cents. And I think to your point that, you know, not having an illiquid asset yes. <laughs> sometimes is very freeing. <laughs> and I know there's been more and more people that I've been talking to that are feeling that way. Like they see the value of their home on a balance sheet and they're like, man, if I had that money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So um, when you made the move, um, Brian, it was a couple months later that you actually started the business um, full fledged. You were you were doing some work with another company and kind of getting yourself ready to to launch the business. And during that time, uh, you know, you, you were sort of in a transition. So tell me what your lives look like during that transition. She asked you what did our lives look like during that transition. Well, both of you because. Natalie, I'm trying you, to think back. Yeah. It feels like a long time ago. Um, you know, I think with any move, you're going through a transition just because of the move. You know, you're meeting new people and you're trying to get used to the area. And we had gone to school in this area before. And so it wasn't as bad as some moves could be, you know, if you're going to a brand new place. And we had a lot of family here, like Brian mentioned, and that just helped so much to be near people that you already know and love, you know, that are supportive. So, um, and then we started homeschooling too, on top of that. So that was mm-hmm. right, right. And, um, and that wasn't something I'd ever done. So there were actually, like you said, a lot of transitions during that time. But um, what? I, life was. Um, fresh and new and exciting in a lot of ways. Luckily, we had a lot of foundational pieces that remained consistent. And so for us, mm-hmm. uh, we still went to church on Sunday. We like to go exercise. Mm-hmm. We found a gym and, and made that a priority. We um, kind of had a routine uh, before we moved about you know getting groceries and meal prepping on certain days. And we kept that going. So I, I think a lot of it was new, but what worked, we tried to keep. And gosh, you know, kids are getting older and life's changing. I mean, your cars break down. There's always change is inevitable. But to the extent we were able to, we tried to keep the good habits and the good things going from life before. I want to go back to what something you just said, Brian. What worked, you tried to Mm -hmm. keep. And the reason that I want to go back to that is because 
January is traditionally one of those months where everybody makes all these New Year's resolutions, right? I'm going to be more fit this year. I'm going to be, I'm going to eat better this year. I'm going <laughs> to focus more this year on different things. Everybody talks about change, but they don't necessarily take a step back and say, you know what, this is working. So why don't I focus on this? So I just want listeners to hear that because I think that's really important whether you're selling your house, moving, starting a business and raising four kids all at the same time, um, or just, you know, going about your daily life and not feeling fulfilled. So, I, can I know, add look, a thought on top of that, Amy? Um, absolutely. It's a recent, um, maybe an, sort of an epiphany for me. Um, you're very complimentary and I'm blushing a little bit at how you're making it sound like we have life together and perfect. And that's, um, I guess in some respects, there are some little victories we should do a happy dance and be proud of in our lives. <laughs> um, but I have come to the realization that I've given myself permission to be bad at a lot of things. Um, I've just decided that, uh, I, I am, I have a basic set of tools but I am not going to be the person that knocks down our kitchen and does a full a kitchen remodel with my own two hands. <laughs> I just uh, I probably could figure it out. And I have some of the tools and the skills in order to do that. And it would maybe be fun, but I'm just going to hire somebody. To do it. I am never I'm going to be bad at changing my own oil. I'm hiring that out. I will never be good at TV. I haven't seen Breaking Bad. I haven't seen Stranger Things. I can't keep up on the conversation. Sorry. Like, if that's you, like, we, you know, and that's a requirement to be friends with me, I'm going to fail that friendship test because I've just decided I'm going to be bad at some of the things. So I think being aware of what works and maybe what's not working and then saying to yourself, do I really need to be good at this? And if it's your relationship or your health, I mean, there are some foundational pieces that if it's not working, um, yeah, fix it. See, see what you can do. But I mean, doing it all doesn't necessarily mean everything else everybody else is doing too. Right. But, right. <laughs> I, I, but I, I think, you know, I love that you added that on there to give you, you've given yourself permission to be, you use the word bad. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> and I chuckle at that because I'm like, Brian, okay, so Natalie, this question is for you. Is Brian ever actually bad? Um, not a bad person. No, he's <laughs> bad at something. So there you That's go. That's true. I am the worst. At the not a bad person, thankfully. Right, one of the things that I hope you guys don't mind that, that I'm bringing this up too, because I think it's to the core of your foundation. Um, you know, Brian has been very open about his faith and the strength of it and um, in, in your strength as a family. Um, you know, how, do, how does that play into some of that? Because, I mean, I don't care what marriage we're talking about. There are moments where we get on each other's nerves as married couple. I've been married almost 25 years. I love my husband dearly. There are times where I don't like him in the room with me. <laughs> um, you know, but, but going back to that base, um, you know, concept, how do you guys make that work? Um, so I'll start on this. It, it, like you said, it's hard. I mean, you know, you get married and everybody's like, oh, it's so great and so wonderful. And nobody tells you how hard it really is, you know, and <laughs> we've only been married 13 years and we've gone through some really hard times, especially with our kids. You know, having little, little kids is seriously the hardest thing, I think. I mean, not the hardest thing, probably, but it was really hard for us. <laughs> You know, having our fourth kid, we were like, what were we thinking? You know, this was crazy. And because it just puts a strain on your relationship because the more things pulling you in different directions, the harder it is to have time together. And so I think um, I think that one of the ways that we have weathered the hard times is really um, focusing on having those date nights or having those conversations or spending the time together and trying to make it a team effort. And we're not perfect at it for sure. And we've definitely had times where it's been worse than, and then better and worse than better. You know, it's kind of a roller coaster sometimes in marriage. 
But um, I, I do think that what we've really tried to do is just stay committed and keep working. Neither of us ever stops working at our relationship. And it's really amazing. And I feel so grateful for Brian because he really is 100% committed to our relationship, regardless of how crappy it is or how stupid I am sometimes or whatever. We're both 100% committed. And I totally know and believe that with him. And I think that makes diff- the difference too, is having that trust in, in him and his commitment to our relationship. I would just add, Amy, the the faith aspect that I think helps for us specifically, um, some of the basic tenets of our faith, I feel like are powerful foundations for a happy marriage. For example, forgiveness, uh, knowing that forgiveness is something that we think about and study and talk about. Uh, and it, I think that bleeds over into your personal relationships in, in addition to a relationship with God or a higher power. Um, knowing that believing in, uh, a, a higher power and that that person or being or power, whatever you want to call it, has a plan for you, I think is something that is helpful in, when times get tough. Um, other thing, just basic traditions. Um, the act of going to church and spending an hour or two thinking about something besides yourself once a week, I think is very healthy regardless of whether or not it's church. And so for us, getting outside, looking at beautiful paintings, being around other people that are uh, similarly trying to uh, focus, you know, outside of themselves on things like service and, um, you know, being kind to others, I I feel like is really healthy. So those are some of the basic tenets of our faith that have really helped uh, life Mm -hmm. and business and relationships and all that. I love that you said being kind to others. It's, it's sometimes yeah. in our world and I am, you know, I, I, um, I can catch myself getting very frustrated, um, sometimes with some, usually when you're on Twitter uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or too much Facebook or watching the news sometimes, yeah. um, are, and I won't get into the political side of it, but you know, the, our world right now seems to be very tense. And, um, and, and myself, you know, I find myself, especially dealing with vendors sometimes, um, one in particular, um, I, I, I find that, you know, they're, they're just people. And, uh, I have to remind myself that it's, you know, I'm not perfect either. And all, but, but trying to bring that kindness out. And when I feel like I can't be kind, avoiding the conversation. Just yeah. dealing with it when I'm in a, you know, a better mood and can treat people with respect. Um, but that kindness is something that right now as a society, we seem to be a little short with. <laughs> so I love that you bring that up. Um, and, and the fact that you have four very adorable children that are seeing your kindness to each other and to other people. Kids do what they see um, or and per- permitted to do, right? <laughs> so, yep. so I want to dig in just a little bit, if you don't mind, too, about, um, you know, what are your passions? I know, Brian, you talked a little bit about them in the first episode that we recorded, but maybe just remind the listeners. And then, Natalie, you know, what, what are the things that just spark your soul? So for me, I love reading. I love new ideas. Um, I love Barnes and Noble <laughs> and just being able to browse. Um, I'm super sad that they're talking about Barnes and Noble going away. Um, although it is hard when you're browsing and it's like 25 in your hand and you're looking at Amazon and it's 15. So I get it. Um, I love exercise. I like to work out and um, find new ways to challenge myself physically. Um, and I, I kind of like competitions in general. So just, I, I signed up for an ice hockey skills class because that sounded fun. And <laughs> so it's common, kind of, it's a combination of a little competitiveness and some, um, exercise and things. So, um, yeah, those initially top of mind things that come to me. How about you? 
Um, you know, when I think about things that I'm passionate about, it seems to be the things that I could talk a long time about. <laughs> so sometimes you don't really realize how passionate you are until you start talking about some things. And so I try to pay attention to that, what I, what I can talk for a long time about. And one of those things is education. I'm really passionate mm-hmm. about helping kids and which is why I homeschooled for a year, having a positive educational experience and creating a lifelong love of learning. And I could talk a really long time about that. So I won't get into that right now, but, um, fitness and nutrition is also really important to me. So I think Brian's a little more athletic than me for sure, but nutrition, I just am really interested in and study on my own and try to learn more about as much as possible. Cause the science always seems to be changing there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, really love having new experiences that I've never had before. So instead of going to Kauai again, cause we've been there before, I'd much rather go to Australia. You know, I don't want to go back to Kauai. I've done it. I've been there. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. Let's go somewhere new if we're going to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I just really love to see all the things that I can see in this world. And I mean, I haven't, I've done a little international travel, but not a 10, but even, even here in Utah, we have a full adventure list for this year of all the places we want to go that we haven't been yet. And so I just love that. And especially if, if, and when we can include our kids in that, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I think that kind of a lot of what I feel passionate about comes back to creating really awesome kids and having them have a really good perspective on life. And like we talked about kindness and things like that, just kind of giving them the opportunities to be successful in their own way about and finding what's important to them and trying new things. So they don't feel boxed in and things like that. Those are some things that are important to me. Natalie and I are taking a three hour drive one way. So six hours total to Hanksville, Utah, simply because of the name. So, <laughs> she's, she's totally not kidding about uh, passionate about new experiences. But how cool would that be? That, you know, if it was Irvineville, USA, you'd totally be there. Right? California. Yeah, oh, there's, yeah. There, yeah, there's a couple, actually. There's Irvine, um, California is absolutely one. And then the town that we live in in New York is called Jasper. Um, yeah. And Jasper has, you have the Jasper National Park that is um, in Canada. And then there's, we just found out that there's actually a Jasper, Florida that we're going to have to go explore. So, um, yeah. and a couple of years ago, we went to Elizabethton, um, Tennessee, because my middle name is Elizabeth. And I thought, well, yeah. you know, it's the, it's the reason kind of like what you guys are saying that, um, you know, it's just, okay, well, that. You know, I don't really know what's there, but heck, wouldn't it be cool right. to go have our tour taken and say, welcome to Irvine, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's fun. Yeah. And a lot of people ask us if we're from California because of, you know, the, there's a big Irvine family out there, actually. And um, they're, they own a lot of land and property out there. And unfortunately, we are not related to them in any way, shape, or form, but... Yeah. And, and, you know, tell me like when it comes to like the money conversations that you guys have, how, how do you guys balance that? Um, so I think one of the genius things my husband did when we first got married and I wish every woman, especially stay at home moms that don't work, um, had this opportunity. He was adamant that we each have our own little bit of spending money every month, every pay period. And so we each have our own separate account, which is kind of, we call it our personal money. And then we also have, you know, our joint account that if I ever make money, goes into there, his money goes in there, whatever we're, we're mixing that money to pay bills and whatever, but we also have our own personal account. So I don't ever feel like I have to ask my husband to spend money just because he's the breadwinner. And it's such a great and freeing feeling as a stay at home mom, you know, with a few jobs on the side that don't make that much money most of the time. It's, it's really just such a blessing, I think. And it has been since day one and really has helped so much. Um, my feelings to feel like I, I'm, I didn't become a wife and then suddenly get cut off kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I would say for me, that's a huge, Huge thing that we do as far as money goes that works really, really well. And then call you. Yeah, for me, um, that was a great one. I've always been passionate about the stock market and investing and 
uh, that came from me losing some money and figuring out why and how that mm-hmm. works. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say one of the insights I've had in the last, I don't know, five, six years is um, I was just in um, Franklin, Tennessee, which is the home of Dave Ramsey. And the Dave Ramseys and the Susie Ormans of the world preach um, uh, a money gospel that I think is helpful for really for everybody. I don't disagree with almost anything they say. I think it's, it's great advice. And their advice tends to be cut, 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 right? Cut this out. You don't really need that. Sell the car, cut up the credit cards. And I think that is absolutely foundational advice that if you aren't taking to heart um, is where you should start. What has been really game changing for us, though, as a couple is realizing and we've been at multiple places in our lives, Amy, maybe you've been there as well, where we looked at our budget and there wasn't a lot to cut, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. the income was such that, you know, you're making $50,000 a year and you cut 10%, you know, um, that gets you an extra $5,000. But what if you worked hard, got a raise and earned an extra 10,000? Which one's easier, cutting out 10% of your uh, spending or getting a raise for, um, you know, what would stick uh, 10,000 on 20% raise? Mm-hmm. I don't know which one's easier. Everyone's situation is different. But for us, the game changer has been that not only just focusing on expenses and budgeting, but also focusing on income. And mm-hmm. one of the ways to feel better about money. And this sounds so obvious. It's like, well, duh, Brian. But one of the ways to feel really good about money is, frankly, just to make more of it and <laughs> do that. And I don't know that that's a message that I see as often in the personal finance space. And um, that's been helpful for me. Uh, kind of bringing that up, Brian, I, I guess um, when, when people say, you know, I'm limited in what I can earn. What advice would you have for them? Yeah. I think a lot of it is thinking outside the box. And we have done this over the years. We, I remember many years ago, we bought a book from the bookstore that was like different ways you can make money. This was before like internet was as big because <laughs> we're older. But, um, we just were like continually trying to figure out how could we add income, you know, Like, what kind of things can we do? And I feel like it's almost easier now than ever because there are so many venues with the internet and everything. You can sell your stuff really easily instead of having a garage sale, you know, or you could um, become a blogger or you could have an Instagram. Like, there are so many different outside the box avenues besides just starting a new business. And, you know, even for a lot of moms, MLMs are really great and Some people take issues with those, but they're really great for some other women. So, and men too, but I think it's just a matter of considering what possibilities there are or eBooks, you know, Brian has his book and it's not an eBook. It's a physical print book, but even eBooks, you can make money courses, teach something that you're good at. There are just so many possibilities. If you start thinking or teaching at a community college, I mean, there Mm -hmm. there are a lot. Do you just limit yourself if you feel fear? I think it's- I would, I would tell people to do two things. I would read a lot and, and what inspires inspired me initially are same things that inspired a lot of people, right? Um, rich dad, poor dad, four hour work week, you know, some of those types of, uh, business books that can get you pumped up. But what I think is going to sustain that Amy is some advice that I heard from Scott Adams, the Dilbert cartoonist. So of all people, <laughs> I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> he identified, um, and, and this is it. Once he said it, I was like, "Oh, that is so obvious, and it's so true." He said, "Pick four or five skills, marketable skills." So that's the, that's the key adjective, but marketable skills that you can be in the top twenty five percent of, not top one percent, not top two percent. We're not talking Olympic caliber people here. We're talking top 25%. So for him, he said, Hey, I looked around and I was pretty funny. I wasn't Jerry Seinfeld funny, like a best comedian ever, but I was pretty funny and I was decent at art. I think if you look at Dilbert, you wouldn't think, um, you know, amazing artist, but I was decent at drawing. I understood corporate America and I had a hard work ethic and he combined those four things and created Dilbert. 
And when I look at myself, I was pretty good with clients on the phone. I could talk well on the phone. I understood finances and I understood dentistry through some career choices. And I, you know, anyway, there's a, a number of different skills that I'm, I'm not the best at, not even close, but I'm definitely better than 75% of the average person, people in the population out there. And so my advice would be, you know, can you identify some skills where you're in the top 25% and start putting them together, making sure, of course, that they're marketable, right? I'm the best bottle flipper and I'm going to be on YouTube. Well, sorry, all the 15 year old boys have you beat, you know, sorry. Anyway. Um, so that's uh, from Scott Adams. It's in his book. Um, how to, how to, I think it's lose at everything and still win big or something, how to fail at everything and still win big. It's, it's worth reading. Check it out. Yeah. I, I just, um, I have uh, interviewed Carla um, Sessions, who is a coach, a career coach, a um, couple of, probably about six months ago. And I just recently had a conversation with her because I was referring a client to her. And one of the things that she and I talked about was almost exactly what you said. Because I said, I, I want to try to understand the process that you walk people through. And, and she said, I just ask them what they think they're good at. And we build from there. Mm-hmm. Smart. And I, I thought that was, I, I know it's, you know, I never really thought about that. Like when people ask me, how did you get into this particular profession? I say, well, I was good at math and, you know, I liked accounting and, you know, there was a job that kind of combined that in, in you know, 25 years ago, it, mm-hmm. it seemed like a cool thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, it was around numbers, it was around finance and, and I thought it would be fun. Right. So, I mean, there was no like, aha moment where I said, I'm going to go do that. But once I got in the profession, I was hooked. Yeah. And the reason I think I was hooked was because I love, first of all, I love like you, I love the people interaction and we get to affect people's lives every day. And I love that piece of my profession, but also because I am good at the analysis Mm -hmm. of what's going on. I am good at that and I enjoy that. And, you know, it's, it's probably like for some people that are on the other side, it's probably painful to watch me work through, you know, the analysis of a situation, but I have to break it down into those mini steps. And it's like you were saying with the Dilbert, just find things that you're better than other people at. And I think if you can enjoy it at the same time, then you're really going to excel in those areas. And um, I know Natalie, um, I just want to kind of put a plug in for your editing skills because that is not something I excel at. Let me rephrase that. I do not excel at that. (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate the compliment. (laughs) I I can give Natalie another advisor's website. And 100% of the time, not most of the time, 100% of the time, she can find a typo on the homepage. It's amazing. <laughs> it, it, it's a I mean, I, I, because it's a skill that I'm not good at. When I see somebody else that has that talent that can find the, you know, the, the un expected an incorrect letter in the middle of, Mm -hmm. you know, something that's somewhat cluttered. Um, I'm pretty impressed with that. And now you give me numbers and I'll find that one. Like when, you know, they have those sheets of like all ones and they say, find a zero or something. I can immediately find those, (laughs) but you give me a sheet of letters. I I don't know what it is about my makeup, but, um, you know, I, that is not an area that I'm good at. And so, um, I just want to give that plug to, you know, that talent. And, and I'd love to know, like, you know, h- how did you develop that love for it? Um, that's a great question. I, I grew up a reader a hundred percent too. We're a big reading family. In fact, sometimes we have to tell our 11 year old son to put the book down and have a conversation, <laughs> but it's a good problem to have. Um, but I grew up reading tons and tons and tons. And so I think that helps. I wasn't an English major. I was a sociology major. Um, but I just, I, it's one of those things you, I just kind of have a knack for, I guess. And then I, I really like it. It feels, 
um, I can sit at my computer and I can do it and I'm good at it. And so, you know, when you're good at something, you even like it more. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's just kind of a combination of things. And it really wasn't something I considered as a career ever. Um, but the more I do it and every time I do it, I just, I do. I'm, I'm like, I really love this, that kind of thing. And it's fun. That explains why you're so good at it, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just having read a lot and doing it over and over and just understanding, you know, I was always a good speller. I won the sixth grade spelling bee or whatever, you know, it's just, it's been a natural talent that I've just enjoyed using, mm-hmm. I guess. And do you, inqu- I, it's funny that your kids are all, you know, I, I still think that goes back to kids do what they see. You know, I, I think that's a big piece of it. It doesn't always mean that they're going to love it as much as you do, but it, it does mean that they see it and they're, it's like, well, isn't that normal? Right. Isn't that what everybody does? Um, mm-hmm. How does that filter down into the financial aspect of things? How do your kids watch you guys interact on that front and what kind of fun comments do they make about that? Hmm. Great question. We try to use money from an early age. I don't know that we're very deliberate about talking, like how we talk about money in front of the kids. Um, it will come up naturally if uh, dad, I want an iPad. Like, no, <laughs> um, you know, but, um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Think? I think there'll be times, you know, I take, I don't take my kids grocery shopping anymore, but when I have in the past, you know, they want something. I say, well, that's not on my list. You know, we talk about, there's a reason there's a list, there's a budget, that kind of thing. We don't just spend money frivolously. And so, um, we, we do try to have those conversations. Like Brian said, our kids have some money for doing some jobs in the house and, you know, they can earn some money and they got money for birthdays or things like that. And my daughter wanted to buy a drawing book the other day. And, um, she said, well, I have this much money in my account. And I said, well, no, you only have $9. And she was so confused because she thought she had a bunch more, but she had also forgotten she'd spent about $9 on candy the other day. So it's really great because that was an aha moment for her because she thought she had all this money because she'd gotten all this money for her birthday, forgetting that she spent it on candy, which, you know, that's a good moment where she learned, maybe I don't want to spend my money on candy because I really wanted this drawing book, you know? And so Mm -hmm. we try Mm -hmm. to give them some autonomy over some money to have those experiences. You know, within reason, we started paying our son to babysit a little bit, but not as much as we pay a 16-year-old. But we do want to give them those opportunities to spend and, and learn how to use money. I'd rather have them make as many mistakes with money now, early in life, um, now than later. But you're giving them that opportunity. And, and uh, Brian, I remember the story that you told me about one of the best lessons that your dad, Mm -hmm. I believe it was your dad, um, you know, was able to show you about investing and, and you were like, well, thank goodness I wasn't depending on that, you know, because you were allowed to fail in a very comfortable area. Um, Natalie, what, what would you say some of like, what is one of the biggest, um, maybe money lessons you've learned, uh, in your life? Um, that's good question. My dad, my dad was a dentist actually. So, you know, I grew up in a very comfortable home and, you know, with all the things that I needed. But I think the biggest thing is we never had too much. We never had, like, I didn't, I didn't go to Hawaii till I was in college. You know, it's not like my parents were taking us all over the country just because my dad was in a good financial situation. And honestly, you know, he retired two years ago. And the reason he retired really well is because he was always frugal. There was one time when I was in college and I said something like, I don't want to return this thing to the store because it's only a $2 or something. And he said, have I not taught you anything? <laughs> you know, Like $2 to him, the rebate at Costco, when they used to do rebates, he would get every rebate, whether it was a dollar, it was a 50 cents, whatever it was. He would take that. He would take every extra dollar. He would find every best deal. He still does. Um, like that, that's the biggest thing I took away from growing up. They just, they didn't overspend. They saved. We were comfortable. My parents traveled, you know, they gave us good experiences too. I went to Mexico in high school, but like, 
it, like I said, it wasn't this constant of spending of money and like giving our kids whatever we want kind of thing. Like we, we lived a normal life and we never thought we were better than anybody because we had a ton of money mm-hmm. or something. It was, it was a really, really good balance. I think of having what we needed, but not ever feeling better than or having too much. Or I feel like a lot of times nowadays, there's just excess of everything, you know? And so mm-hmm. I, and I learned to save and like those lessons of finding the best deal and not just spending and that kind of thing, I guess. Yep. So, I mean, that sounds like that's kind of the lesson that you're ta- teaching on to your children. I mean, you know, if it, where did the money go? Where did the $9 go? Well, that was $9 on candy. Oh, Oh, was it, did I enjoy it that much? I mean, your kids, like you said, Brian, you know, teaching them that learning to fail now, well, it's not as painful. I mean, yes, they might have not been happy that they were out $9, but that could have been a $9,000 mistake that was made, you know, 10 years from now. And that could be very hurtful. So, you know, they, you never know how they're going to take those lessons and take them into, yeah, I, into life. I, I put in high school, um, you know, I did the thing at the public swimming pool where I put my sh- uh, wallet in my shoe and then wrapped my pants around my shoe and then <laughs> saved 50 cents by not sticking it in the locker, right? And, and taking the key out of the locker. I think, yeah, it'll be fine. And it had, it'd been like fine 10 times before that. And then of course, one time it wasn't and all my money was gone. It was like, I, mean, I remember it was a lot for high school. It was 300 bucks. Ouch. And, uh, yeah, it told, and I was I was upset, Amy. But you better believe that as an adult, you know, I am very careful about <laughs> where I set my wallet. Yeah. Um, so. Wow. Now that would have been a lesson, and and that I guess that would have been a hard lesson to learn. <laughs> um, and yeah. I'm sure you probably share that with your children. On you know, like, what do they say that? Um, dime. Friend, what is that saying? Penny wise can be down foolish. Well, foolish. Thank you. Yeah. Um, sometimes we think um, saving, you know, the, the money, like what you were just saying is, um, you know, the, the best answer when in reality, it might be worth putting the 50 cents in the locker to protect, yeah. protect what we've been able to accumulate so far. Yeah. Um, so uh, I know that I promised I would keep it to um, less than an hour, but as usual, I just, it's such an extraordinary conversation. I have to ask you just a couple final questions that I always love to ask my guests. And one of them is, um, what is the definition? And, and you can answer this as a couple or you can answer this as individuals. But what is your definition of success? Hmm. That, that's a good question. You ask a lot of good questions. Um <laughs> I think, you know, I feel like the older I get, and like I said, a lot of things relate back to my kids. So, you know, we say we want our kids to be successful. And so we have had conversations about that. You hear a lot. What does that actually mean? And I really think um, just feeling like you feel good about who you are and you're doing what you're capable of doing and continually trying to be better. I feel like, you know, we're never finished. We never finish learning or growing. And so for me, I'm feeling successful as I continue to progress and learn and grow and continue to be better. Um, and I'm feeling good about the things I'm doing instead of feeling like I'm not working as hard as I could. You know, at the end of my days, if I've sat and watched TV all day, I feel like crap, you know. But if I clean my house or like um, written a blog post or whatever the things would be that would be on my to-do list when I've accomplished those, I feel good and not to me a success. My, my recent definition of success is to have something in life that I'm striving to achieve and, uh, and be working towards that. And I hope that I'm working on something and have a goal or a system or a habit that I'm trying to develop all the way till I'm a hundred after a hundred, I can go, I'm going to go all the way. <laughs> I love your optimism, Brian. <laughs> My definition would be. We can take and you know, everybody will go a hundred. So. <laughs> 
As long as I'm able to move, that's the big thing. Like, I just want to, you know, I just want the ability to still be able to, you know, get out and move around and, and right. be contributing. You know, yeah. that's that's the biggest issue. Um, and then, you know, you alluded to it a little bit earlier. I asked you what gets, you know, what gets you juiced up? What's your journey? What's your passion? But but what really feeds your soul? Um, you know, what is the core? I know, you know, for some people... Um, it, it's so individualized, but I love to hear what refreshes you. Hmm. Conversations with a friend, mm-hmm. having a, a friend remember me or reaching out to a friend and having a great conversation. Uh, that's, that's something that refreshes me. Um, I, you know, I think we talked about new experiences and I think part of that. I, I think some of, you know, you have those like feel good moments in your heart where you're like, this is life. And I have those when I'm with my family and we're doing something and I just pause and I see it for what it is. I see this is it. Like this is when I was a kid and I thought someday I'll have a family like this is where I'm at, you know? And I just like have that moment where I'm like, this is, this is life. Like we're doing this thing. And and it's really cool. It's a cool feeling. What do you think, um, and this isn't fair because I really didn't give you any heads up on this question, but what do you think your kids, how would your kids answer mm. if I asked them that question? Um, our oldest, I think what feeds him, so we have one boy and then three girls. And our oldest, I think what feeds him is um, cre- like uh, creating in an engineering aspect. He wants to be an engineer when he grows up. So anything computer that he can figure out and understand, would you agree with that? I would, yeah. Yeah. And for the number two daughter, I would think it would be creating something artistic. Yeah, she's she's super talented with art. She's a really gifted drawer specifically. And so she loves that sewing. We got her a sewing machine for Christmas. She's like, she loves creativity in all forms. Cooking. Um, Our almost six-year-old friends. Like she is our social butterfly. She loves people. She's one of the nicest kids you'll ever, ever meet. She loves to talk to people, meet new people. Um, She takes after Brian that way. (laughs) And then our four-year-old... Um, she's a little harder cause she's four, yeah, but she tell. loves me. She loves her mom. <laughs> so, um, really cool. yeah. Like she just, she, and she's learning to read. So I think that like is really exciting for her. She, yeah, she just likes learning right now. She's in a really good fun stage for learning. So yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, it, it, they they sound like they all have their own unique personalities and strengths and interests and um, are a nice combination of two very wonderful people that I've been blessed to have in my life. Um, I I think Brian, you've you and I have had some great, really soul searching conversations over the last couple of years. And um, Natalie, I can't thank you enough for some of the work that you've done for me. Um, and, and just helping me. I was so nervous uh, to ask you to edit the Uncork Your Finances because I was so worried about that being like a, like, oh, she's going to read this and think, this this girl has her master's no, degree? No judgments when I edit. I just, I love it too much. So it's just fun for me. So never hesitate. I would love for um, uh, for the listeners to know how they can reach out to you. Um, Brian, you're, you're working with dentists. Um, that is the group of people that you're, you're really good at working with and you know a lot about their systems. How could they reach out to you if, if they were looking for somebody like you? The best way is uh, through email. And it's a really easy email address to remember. It's my first and last name. So Brian with an I at brianhanks.com and hanks is like tom hanks is there a website they can go to yeah again brianhanks.com hanks.com, yeah. yeah i'm not in the top 25 percent for creativity so there you go 
<laughs> we'll actually post your uh, website and your Brian Hanks, like Tom Hanks.com. <laughs> Natalie, how can folks reach out to you if they're looking for some editing or, and it doesn't have to be in the financial services industry. You'll do editing across the board. Will, correct? Yeah. Um, Natalie Hanks editing. So Natalie, normal spelling Hanks, like Tom Hanks <laughs> and editing at gmail.com. So we'll make sure to get that information out there as well. Um, We want to say thank you so much for sharing um, a full hour of your time with us today and um, about your life and your journeys and how you guys make it work as a couple, both um, emotionally and financially and um, the influence on your children. It's always a pleasure when I get get to share the conversations that I have with people. And this was, this was a fun one. So thank you so much. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for letting us be a part, Amy. And that will about do it for this week's episode of Wine and Dime. You can visit Amy on the web at irvineadvise.com. Or you can follow her on Twitter at Amy Irvine Advise. Or on her Facebook page, Irvine Wealth Planning Strategies. If you have any questions, comments, or topics that you would like to hear about, feel free to contact us through Twitter or Facebook, and we will do our best to answer your questions. We would love to hear from you. And thank you for listening.